There's a huge amount of opportunity here to create really innovative uh, interactions with money. So effectively, you can think about cryptocurrencies giving you an API to finance, really, in some format. The other thing to think very carefully about, however, is what it implies if uh, large corporations such as Libra and Facebook, um, you know, take control of a currency that potentially, uh, you know, might have impact on two billion users. When cryptocurrencies first came out, they said, well, instead of actually going through this traditional system, what if we had a way to send value straight from one currency to another without going through the USD denominated SWIFT system? Uh, and so, you know, I think what we're seeing really with cryptocurrency is a response to the fact that there are holes in our current system. And people are using cryptocurrencies as a way to fill some of those gaps to, to actually overcome, ironically, the lack of trust in the existing system. I think uh, what we're seeing here really is a global experiment. And, the, you know, in a lot of financial systems, we're talking about sandboxes today. Well, actually, Bitcoin is probably the world's biggest sandbox, right? It was developed and created. Sandbox being? Uh, a place you can go and test, test ideas uh, outside of the, the normal regulatory environment without all of the um, issues associated with that. So there are countries around the world where this is taking off. Is it a global cryptocurrency? I don't think we've seen global acceptance. So that's why I think we see the corporate coins come in and say, okay, well, that sort of worked. There is demand for it, but it's not taking, it's not in 50 countries, it's not in 100 companies. And that's something that kind of the corporates are stepping in, seeing that opportunity from this global experiment and saying, how do we enter this and, and take it to the next level? And then I think even governments are coming in saying, well, how do we get involved in this technology? Maybe this is something that we should be looking at. The fourth industrial revolution, it's a fusion of the physical, the digital, and the biological world. It's changing not only what we are doing, it's changing who we are. It's really the notion of digital technology pervasively impacting every walk of life and every vertical industry on all parts of the globe. Whether it's information technology and the acceleration we see in artificial intelligence, a lot is happening. Society and how we're going to live is being defined right now. The speed is mind-boggling. What I particularly concerned about is how little the world is prepared. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua and today's episode will be on cryptocurrencies, specifically on using them as an investment. So in the previous episode, I covered other types of investments and to give the disclaimer that I didn't give last time, but it should have been obvious in the way I was explaining things that this is not investment advice. I am not a professional financial advisor. So just take what I say as I actually say it. I am just letting you know my personal opinions. That's what this interlude series is all about. And so please don't read into this too much thinking that I'm telling you how you should or shouldn't invest your own money. That is not what I am doing. I am just giving various ideas, strategies, philosophies, things that I personally think, my personal opinions, and doing this in a way that relates to a lot of the different subjects and topics that I have covered in this podcast. Now, I will start off by saying that cryptocurrencies are a very risky investment if you are using them as an investment. They 
often derive their value strictly from market forces. So their value is just what the market deems it should be, whatever people are willing to pay. It's not like there is some intrinsic value or some minimum value or some alternative purpose that they can be used for. In general, this is strictly a market asset. And that means that the price could and has gone down by say, 80% in a matter of a few days. It can rise or drop 20% in a matter of minutes. These things have happened. For example, when I first started looking into cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin had recently risen up to around $2,000 or a little under that. This was just prior to the Bitcoin cash split. And at that point in time, again, roughly $1,000, $2,000 was the price of Bitcoin. And then shortly after that, there was a massive run-up over just a period of a few months. And it went from somewhere around 2000 2500 right around in that range, all the way up to almost $20,000 in the matter of a few months per Bitcoin. And then after that, the price dropped from $20,000 all the way down. At one point, I think it broke below 4000 before it came back up to 10 ish and then back down to around uh, 6000 5000 I think it just for a few minutes broke below $5,000 in the more recent crash. And this was a little bit after the markets crashed, after coronavirus started, I think back in March, somewhere around there. And since then, prices have gone all the way back up to all-time highs, and they have been hovering fairly stably for a little while, around $18,000, $19,000 per Bitcoin. So as you can tell, the price does fluctuate a lot. That's just in the past, say, two or three years, where you've gone from 2000 to 20000 to 3000 to 16000 to... 4,000 to 20,000. It's kind of all over the place. However, in general, if you take the beginning period that I am talking about, say prior to the Bitcoin cash split, let's say around $2,000, even though there is such volatility and even though there have been such huge run-ups and huge crashes, the next crash after that, let's say a year later or so, the price was still around, let's say, $4,000, which would be about double the price of what it was at that beginning stage. So even though it did get all the way up to 20 and then crashed all the way down, it still ended up twice the price as it was less than a year before that. And the same would be true of the next run-up where it ran up into the somewhere in the teens, um, I think it was 15000 or so, somewhere around there, and then dropped all the way back down to 5000 I think, uh, again, I think it broke below 5000 just for a very, very short period of time, but roughly 5000 And so even though that was a big rise up and a big crash down, Still, that's $5,000 compared to what it was before around 4000 or just below that. And we've had a pretty big run up after that. And we are currently somewhere in the process of that bull run right now. We are near all-time highs as of this recording. There have been a few dips down, but no major crashes down. But my point is, even though you've had these massive run-ups, these massive crashes 
overall, the trend line is still rising. And that is the idea. I talked about that last time about how personally the way that I choose companies to invest in, stocks to invest in, is I have all these different criteria. And then I'll look at the charts and see if over the period of the past year, the past few years, look at the weekly charts, um, is it in general trending up? So regardless of the giant spikes or big crashes, usually earnings reports can trigger some of those for companies. With cryptocurrencies, it's uh, pretty varied in what can cause it to do this. It could be market manipulation. It could be news about regulation. There's all kinds of things that could trigger a sell-off or a giant spike up. But the point is, even with all these, is it trending up? And it is. So that is kind of the way that I personally look at it. But that is a bit of a warning too. If you bought Bitcoin on the first run-up around $20,000, let's say you bought in at 18000 then if you just bought and hold, kind of like I mentioned with stocks as well, then when you had the giant crash all the way down, it's taken you a good two years, three years just to break even. Now, more than likely, we will see new all-time highs that are stable and will blow past them. And again, things are trending up. So probably in the long term, yes, that will work out for you. But similar to if you would have gotten in just prior to the 2008 crash or just prior to the current future, almost probably going to happen soon crash, if you got in now at all-time highs, you know it might take you five years to break even again after we see a crash. Same with if you look Look at the Great Depression, look at charts around that time period. It took years before things got back to that uh, pre-crash normal. And so just be careful and be extra careful if you are planning on using cryptocurrencies as an investment vehicle, just because they can drop 40% in one day. And that is not too uncommon, especially when you get into the altcoins. So that is just something to be aware of. Now, the other disclaimer I want to give before talking about specific currencies and platforms and things like this is that I am getting into this with the assumption that if you have decided to look into these things, you have your reasons for doing so. I am not going to lay out the case for investing in these things or say why you should or shouldn't or what is the value and what are all of the risks. I wanted to give the disclaimer overall of the broad risks and that this is a very volatile space, but... In general, I am going to leave the due diligence up to you. And if you need to know more about blockchain technology, cryptocurrencies in general, the cases for and against investing, all these kinds of things, go back and listen to the blockchain series that I did near the end of season one. I went into a lot of that stuff in detail, and I am not going to do that again. So please refer back to that. If you haven't listened to that series, but you are only slightly familiar with the blockchain and cryptocurrency space, I would highly, highly recommend you go back and listen to that. That will be very helpful. Ideally, you go back and do that and then you listen to this episode and you will definitely be able to track along a lot better. Now, I'll start off by saying typically a lot of people that I see recommendations from tend to say that cryptocurrencies should only be a very small portion of your investment portfolio. That's usually what what's recommended, 
even some of the more mainstream professional advisors are starting to recommend some exposure to the space. Now, usually that would only mean a percentage point or a few percentage points of your total investment portfolio, but that could be as high if you want to get away from the mainstream recommendations as maybe 20% or even 50%, depending on the level of risk that you want to expose yourself to. I would definitely not recommend any specific percentage, but my personal views are that it is good to have some level of exposure to this space for many different reasons. When looking into cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin is the main player here. Bitcoin typically carries 50% or more of the total market cap for all cryptocurrencies. So even if there are hundreds of different cryptocurrencies that are counted, Bitcoin will make up 50 to 60% typically of the total value of all of them. And then every other cryptocurrency will split up the rest of the value that's invested in the space. So uh, Bitcoin is very dominant. And that is something that is often viewed as more of a core of a portfolio where a lot of people will hold Bitcoin and that will be their main holding. And then they'll get into some altcoins for some different exposure, more risky exposure, more specialized exposure, that kind of stuff. One way to look at it that doesn't hold up to major scrutiny, but it does hold up fairly well, is to look at Bitcoin as gold and look at the other altcoins and other various cryptocurrencies as maybe gold mining stocks, for example, where you have gold that is volatile. It does move in price, but it is compared to the others fairly stable. But if you have a big crash or if you have a big run up, the other more specialized stocks can often be more volatile, whether that means they're rising faster or falling faster, it can be more dramatic. And that's usually how it has played out in the cryptocurrency space as well. Now, the issue here is that unlike gold and even unlike the S&P 500, Bitcoin itself is very volatile. So even though it is fairly stable compared to the rest of the cryptocurrency marketplace, it is still very volatile and would often be compared to maybe a risky high growth tech stock, for example. And then the altcoins would be compared maybe to penny stocks. And that would probably be a more accurate comparison when looking at the volatility issue and the risk profile. One of the key things with Bitcoin is that not only is it the dominant player in the space by far, it also is the most stable, as I have mentioned, and if people are getting into this space, which is happening, we're starting to see some institutional investors and pension plans and hedge funds and some of the more mainstream players are starting to get into Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. It's been happening over the past few years. And so as these large money flows start to come in, Bitcoin will be the main place that they will enter. And so that is something where there is more demand definitely for Bitcoin. And that kind of adds to the stability and the dominance there. So there is a good case to be made for keeping Bitcoin as your, I like the gold example, but as your core holding in that portfolio that acts more of a store of value. 
as you look into these other coins, uh, what are considered altcoins, there are so many of them and they are so varied that it is a little intimidating if you are not familiar with the space. Even me, I have been very involved with this space for quite a while, for a few years. I've looked into a lot of these projects fairly thoroughly. I have talked to people involved with various blockchain platforms. And so I am pretty familiar, I would say, with the cryptocurrency space as a whole. But even then, there are plenty of coins, even in, let's say, the top 50, that I have no clue what they are. And that does change. There are coins in the top 10 today that weren't even in the top 50 a year ago. And so the space does change a lot. That's where the probably the tech stock analogy comes into play a little more, where a lot of these tech companies that weren't around five years ago are now dominant players in the space today as far as more mainstream companies go. And that is true in the cryptocurrency space as well. For me, there are a few categories that I feel are very important that blockchain can play a very major role in and that have a lot of potential. So similar to how I mentioned with picking traditional stocks, how I look for companies that are somewhere in the earlier supply chain of innovative industries and up-and-coming industries and technologies, the same is fairly true of how I look at the cryptocurrency space, where I see cryptocurrency as having the potential to play a fairly big role, at least compared to the current market cap, which is minuscule compared to every other investment vehicle around the world. So compared to that, I see there being a lot of room for growth for cryptocurrencies as money, number one, for blockchain platforms, number two, and for tokenization as number three. And then with that, there is also a big role to be played for interoperability for these blockchains to be able to communicate with one another and be able to do cross-blockchain transactions. So that would kind of be the force space there. For the money aspect, for me personally, one of the key things that a money needs is fungibility. If something's going to be a currency, it's going to act as money. It needs to be fungible. One token, one coin, one piece of paper always needs to be equal in value to another. And if there is no anonymity, no privacy, then that is not necessarily true. Maybe you get a coin that can be traced back to some hack or some robbery, and therefore that coin might be considered stolen and illegitimate, and therefore not of the same value as another coin that would be looked at as clean. And so if there is not an anonymity layer, a privacy layer, then there are some major issues with that cryptocurrency acting as an actual currency, an actual form of money. So that is one of the key factors that I personally look into. Now, my favorite probably would be a fairly small coin, and that would be PIVX. I highlighted them as a case study at the end of my blockchain series and even did an interview with someone involved with the project. And so you can go back and listen to those if you're interested. But that has always been one of the 
core factors with PIVX is that they want to be a privacy-centric coin and they want to act as money. They want to be able to do cheap and fast transactions that are nearly instant and that do not cost hardly anything and that are completely private or at least have the option for complete privacy. Now, in the previous series, I did mention that their privacy protocol that they had been using had some issues. They had to abandon that protocol. They were in talks of what they were going to do next. And in the interview that I did, we talked about those potential changes and what they were going for. And since then, PIVX has decided on what they were going to do and has laid that out. As of this recording, they have not released their new privacy protocol, but right now it is in uh, testnet phase. And so it is being tested out. It does appear to be working very well. And so in the fairly near future, that should be a feature that is activated again on that coin. They did end up going with the ZK Snark Zero Knowledge Proof Privacy Protocol from Zcash Sapling and this should be the first instance of a proof of stake coin using this type of privacy protocol. So basically they took the sapling protocol from Zcash and used that as kind of the core infrastructure and then customized everything around it and created their new privacy protocol for their own platform that has a lot of original and innovative aspects to it. And so it should be an extremely good option if you are somebody who likes proof of stake coins, if you like having a masternode system, if you like the privacy aspects, these are things that they seem to be doing very well and have a good record of doing as well. So that is my personal favorite uh, crypto project that is going on right now in this space in the area of acting as an actual electronic currency like Bitcoin was originally intended to be and the Bitcoin white paper talks about. And it just doesn't seem like Bitcoin is that right now, nor does it seem like it will become that in the near future at all. And so for an actual currency, I like PIVX for more of a long shot, but my personal favorite. And then my second favorite would be Litecoin. Now, Litecoin is much like Bitcoin. It was based off of the Bitcoin protocol. It is proof of work and it is very similar in many ways. However, they've implemented a lot of different changes that make it faster. It makes it more scalable. The transaction fees are much, much lower. And Litecoin is in the process of testing out a privacy layer to add to their chain as well. The cool thing about this is that the privacy protocol that they are looking at implementing is probably my second favorite privacy protocol, maybe even my first. I'd say actually they're probably tied. The one that PIVX uses with zero knowledge proofs and ZK Snarks, that is probably tied with Mimblewimble. And I don't know if I mentioned Mimblewimble before. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. But that privacy protocol in a very simplified nutshell is basically that the blockchain will verify a transaction between two parties by just simply making sure that no coins were created and no coins were destroyed. So basically, I send, let's say, 10 Litecoin from my wallet to my brother's wallet, and all the Mimblewimble protocol will do is just ensure that this transaction that's trying to go through the chain doesn't remove any coins or create any coins, that after the transaction, there 
there are still the same number of Litecoin in existence before and after. And so basically, whatever happened, it was just a transfer that didn't alter the blockchain at all. The blockchain can still be 100% verified and trusted, but you don't have any of the extra data involved. It doesn't store, for example, the wallet addresses or the amount that was transacted or any of this stuff. And so in doing so, there is such a small amount of data that's actually being stored and used and processed that transactions uh, theoretically can be extremely cheap and extremely fast. And so this should be a very effective way of handling something like this. There are two cryptocurrencies that use Mimblewimble now. That would be the original would be Grin and the next one would be Beam. I'm not sure if there have been any others that have implemented in the past. It'd have to be in the past six months, I would think, since the last time was that I actually dug into the Mimblewimble protocol myself. But the implementation of that on Litecoin, which is already a very stable, very established project that has a lot of research, a lot of backing, has proven itself, has done very well, that would definitely be my second favorite coin for a currency or for money itself. And because Litecoin is in the top 10 and has been for a very long time as far as market cap of all coins, and PIVX has been between like 100 and 200, um, I would definitely personally put more value in Litecoin than I would in PIVX. PIVX would be more of my long shot. Litecoin would be more of my core targeted play for this space of currency within the blockchain cryptocurrency sphere. Now, the next aspect that I see blockchain really having a major role to play in the future would be that of being a blockchain platform as a whole, running things like smart contracts and more complex monetary systems and transactions and these kinds of things. Uh, this would be kind of the space where you would have apps or dApps, as they're referred to, that are built on an actual platform where you kind of have the next generation of the internet kind of a thing. And all of this is decentralized and you know all that kind of stuff. You can go back again to the crypto episodes if you want more about all this stuff. But assuming you know all of that, then uh, for a platform, my number one pick by far would be Cardano. And I also highlighted that in the case study episode that I did at the end of my blockchain series. So you can go back if you are not as familiar with that. I highlighted PIVX and Cardano, and it is because those are my two favorites. So that's just my personal opinion. I really like how Cardano approaches things. It is very academic. It is very targeted. Yet, even though there are centralized aspects of doing it this way, it is structured in such a way that there is a good bit of institutional decentralization between the different groups that are heading up that project, as well as they are currently implementing um, some major decentralizing aspects to the blockchain and launching this with a government system and voting and this kind of thing, cold staking, all of these types of things that are really big for the project. So that's my number one pick for a platform. My number two would actually be Ethereum. Now, I would not 
personally compare my views on PIVX to Litecoin as being similar or the same as my views of Cardano versus Ethereum. I actually do like Cardano much more than Ethereum. I personally own much more ADA, uh, which is the currency in Cardano, than I do Ether, the currency in Ethereum. And that is because I, I personally believe in the Cardano project much more than Ethereum. Now, Ethereum is a much higher market cap. It's been around longer. Actually, Charles Hoskinson, who started Cardano, was part of the team that started Ethereum with Vitalik Buterin. And so there are some definite connections there. But the more established, longer-running project is Ethereum. There are more dApps that are built on it. It has more developers, all these kinds of things. But I just believe that the technology, uh, the record so far, the approach that they are taking in Cardano, the goals that they are shooting for and how they are doing that, I just like that so much better in Cardano. I think it will be much more effective. And I just like the project a lot more. So that's my pick personally. Now, a third platform that I like, again, probably better than Ethereum, but not as much as Cardano, probably in between the two would be Stellar. That is one that was originally a fork off of the Ripple chain. And it basically took a lot of the flaws in Ripple, a lot of the centralization aspects and kind of the uh, sketchy approaches that I, again, won't get into in this episode. But if you're familiar with the space, you should be aware of some of those issues. Uh, Stellar kind of broke away from that and did, they took a different route, so to say. But Stellar as a platform is the one that I would say has the best chances of being the main platform for tokenization. They already have some good exchanges with a lot of wrapped tokens where they've tokenized, let's say, Bitcoin and other things like that and other assets like gold and silver. And it would be very possible to implement things like uh, stocks as a tokenized version on the Stellar blockchain. That is something that would be very doable. So I don't know if you want to include Stellar as a tokenization asset, and that was one of my main categories, or if you want to dump that in with the platforms, I guess technically I would dump it in with the platforms and say Cardano and Stellar for platforms, PIVX and Litecoin for a currency. And then the final category that I personally believe has a lot of potential and there's a lot of need for would be interoperability, where chains can communicate with one another. The best technology that I personally have found and believe in for this aspect would be Cosmos and Polkadot. Now, I will give the caveat that Cardano is supposed to be working on this very heavily as well. And theoretically, they should get this down. And if they do, I think they would do it just as well, if not better than these other projects. But for projects that mainly focus on this, uh, I really like the people behind Polkadot and Cosmos. Those projects have not necessarily been on the market for very long, but the projects themselves have been in development for many years. I've heard interviews with some of the key core developers for both of those projects. And I was listening to those interviews two and three years ago when they were really developing the projects and working on them and seemed to be doing so at the same pace as a lot of the other projects I was looking at. But a lot of these other projects just went straight to the market, hitting an ICO or something of that nature, an airdrop or whatever the case may be. Whereas Cosmos and Polkadot, my understanding at least,
case is both of those sought private investment to get their original funding. And that was how they handled things. And then they launched their coin much later on when they actually had a good working project. So when you pull up the chart for both of these, the time frame is fairly short, but that's just because the token has not been available for very long. But the projects themselves have been in development for a long time and have some really good people behind them. So those are two projects I really like. You also have the ability to stake both of those and the returns are very good. I think as of this recording, at least... If I remember right, I think Polkadot is at roughly a 12% return and Atom, which is Cosmos token, is 8%. If I remember right, it's off the top of my head like most all of this is right now in this, uh, really, this whole interim series in between seasons. It's all basically me just spilling things from my mind with just a few notes jotted down. And so uh, forgive me if I'm wrong on that, but it's roughly that. And so if you're getting roughly 10% returns, as uh, essentially you can think of it kind of like a dividend, um, if you're doing cold staking at least, then that's a big benefit to have as well. Getting back to some more macro issues here, when you are buying and trading these coins, uh, there are a lot of issues with regulation and reporting and KYC and the jurisdiction that you are in as far as what your government says you should and shouldn't do or can or can't do. And this has been an issue. There is no universal regulation, just like there isn't for anything, but even more so for the cryptocurrency space. A lot of countries are way behind in catching up to the technology and actually making it clear what you can and can't do and how you're supposed to report that. And so that is something that you really need to be aware of. You need to be aware of how you are buying it, whether you are using an exchange that does KYC. So they uh, KYC is know your customer, where they take your name and they have your information. And so if they have that, then typically that information will get to your local government and your tax agency and uh things can proceed from there. However, there are decentralized exchanges and other ways where you can do local trades, um, things like that, where you don't have the KYC. So you can buy, you can trade currencies without having those automatically logged and recorded and sent in. And so there are different approaches. And depending on the approach you take, you need to be aware of what that means and what you're supposed to do. Technically, in a lot of jurisdictions, every time you make a transaction, that can be a taxable transaction. So if you buy Bitcoin and then you convert it to Ethereum, any gains that you made on that are taxable. And then if you take that Ethereum and you spend it, any increase in value from the time of when you converted it to Ether to the time you spent the Ether, there are gains to be made and reported and be taxed on in that transaction as well, and so on and so forth. So you can probably imagine how complicated that can get. So as far as the regulated exchanges that I personally have used and would recommend. Coinbase is the easiest one that's really easy to onboard people if you just want a good exchange that is reputable, that has access to all the main coins, that has all the main features of most of the exchanges. Coinbase is just the 
easiest, simplest, most established one and is a good option for uh, that type of approach if that's what you're going for. The fees are often higher, although they do have Coinbase Pro that they might be phasing out, so I'm not positive about that. But uh, yeah, you can get into that uh, on your own. But Overall, for an easy onboarding, Coinbase would be my pick. Second would be Gemini. Gemini is one that also has been approved by regulators to meet all of the different standards. They ensure the deposits that they store there. They are very reputable and established. They have their own stablecoin, as does Coinbase. Gemini is the one that the Winklevoss twins had started, if you are aware of who they are. Now, my third pick would be Kraken, and it is actually probably my favorite personally, but it's not as easy to deal with. Trading on there is not quite as user-friendly, but they do have more features, and they have the most coins, typically, out of any of the major exchanges. Now, exchanges are always adding coins. Back when I first started, there were two or three coins on most exchanges, and now there's probably a dozen or more. But as coins get added, Kraken still seems to always be ahead of the pack as far as having many more coins and options than the others. You can also stake some of your coins if you get, for example, Polkadot or Cosmos, uh, Dot or Atom would be the tokens. You can stake those on the Kraken exchange, and other exchanges are implementing that as well. But that is something that I personally at least saw first on Kraken. And those coins, I saw them released on Kraken before anyone else. So Kraken is a good option for that. They also offer leveraged trades. So if you want to short or go long with leverage, you can go up to five times leverage on Kraken. And that's something that again, is not for the novice, and I would not personally recommend it, but it is an option. And in this world of cryptocurrencies, if you're using it as some sort of store of value or investment or something of that nature, then you should already know that it's very high risk, but very high potential reward. And you can magnify that if you so desire by using leverage. And that's something, again, dig into yourself. I don't recommend it, but it is a good option to have available to you. And then there are the ways of buying and selling and trading without having to deal with the KYC requirements and having all your information stored and sent in. The options that I can think of for this would be uh, local Bitcoin is one that has been very popular. There's a newer one, BISC. I think that's B-I-S-Q, if I remember right. And they both basically will set you up with a personal individual that you swap coins with, and you don't have to give your name, address, information, all of this kind of stuff. And they have different ways of doing this, and I'm not getting into all the details here, but that's an option. You also have just local networking. If you have people that you can find in your area that own cryptocurrencies and they're willing to just meet up with you, you give them some cash, they send you the cryptocurrency, you can do it right there in person, then that's obviously not something where you have to send in your information for anything. You've also got the option 
of just mining the coins yourself. So if you want to use your own computing power and your own electricity to mine something, whether it be proof of work or proof of stake, you can do so. And then you will receive coins for that. And again, you don't have to report any of your information or have that stored or tracked or traced or anything like that. So that's an option. The final one that I can personally think of at least would be the ATMs. There's a lot of Bitcoin ATMs especially, but usually you have access to multiple coins on there. And so you'll go to it. It'll be like a normal ATM, but you can insert cash or your card. But if you are trying to avoid having your information on there, cash would probably be the way to go. And you can then receive these coins. Usually you are going to pay a higher price for them. There's a premium put on there. And also there is typically a limit. So you might only be able to do $300, for example, worth of Bitcoin at a time. But that can provide a good option where you're paying a slightly higher fee and you do have limits. But again, it's a fairly easy way to attain coins and deal with these kinds of things without having to do KYC. Now, once you own anything, whether it be Bitcoin or Ether or Litecoin or whatever, Monero, whatever you want to use, once you own that, there are many ways of using different exchanges where you can just send your coins from your personal personal wallet to the exchange and trade things or within your wallet. Often there is an option. Shapeshift is a good option where you can basically just convert from one currency to another. And it's basically like using a decentralized exchange that's built into the wallet. And there are other options like that. So once you have attained your coins, you can do what you want and make your own decisions on how you report that and how you uh, deal with tracking those transactions yourself. And I believe it's just good to have multiple options of how you want to deal with things and make those decisions on your own. Now, that does wrap up just my views on owning, buying, selling, dealing with cryptocurrencies. In general, I think that that really covers most of everything. The one thing I don't know if I mentioned, I can't remember if I mentioned this at the beginning or not, but it just came to me. So I'll just say it here that if we do have a stock market crash and things are going down, and even if you don't, if you have people worried about that, then institutional investors and hedge funds, pension plans, even state actors, they need a place to make returns. And if they are not meeting their expected returns, they are not going to meet their payouts that they have to distribute. And so oftentimes they are looking for alternative ways of investing and getting those returns. Cryptocurrencies can add a layer of highly risky exposure to something where they can get a lot of gains from potentially. And so even if you only had a fraction of a percent of what's invested in gold or what's invested in hedge funds or what's invested in bonds or whatever, then that would be a huge boon to cryptocurrencies as a whole. The market cap is just so small, even with all every single cryptocurrency in existence included, that just getting a small fraction of some of this big money to come into the space would create a very large run-up. And that would be another bull scenario for the cryptocurrency space as a whole. So that's something to be aware of, that there already is institutional money that has been coming in for the past few years. There are actors that are starting to 
invest more and pay closer attention to the space. The space is a lot more established. There's probably going to be a lot clearer regulation and laws surrounding the space and investing in it. And that will make institutional players much more comfortable with doing it. A lot of them won't get in until their jurisdiction, their governments have said what you can and can't do and how you report it and how you handle that stuff. So now that these things, this infrastructure has been built out and now that there are some cracks in the system of these other investment vehicles from bonds to real estate to stocks, uh, whatever the case may be, there is a case to be made for the blockchain space and cryptocurrencies seeing a decent run-up. Now, the last time we had a run-up and every time we've had a run-up, there has been exponential growth and then it comes back down. But what it comes back down to is still typically higher than the previous all-time highs. And so if that happened or anything similar to that happened, you would see Bitcoin, for example, go from the high teens where it is now to it could go as high as fifty or $100,000 a piece and then probably crash back down to the 20s. But still in the 20s, it's much higher than the high teens. And, you know, overall, you're still getting some good gains. And, you know, obviously you can play the markets and treat that as you will. But that's another thing to consider if you're looking into the forecast and the possibilities in the future for the space. With that, I am going to stop and that will conclude this episode. I am not sure what the next episode will be, but I believe it will be on homesteading, maybe permaculture, something like that. Probably a mix of them. That is the rough plan at least. And so please come back for that. That will be possibly the last episode of this uh, interlude series. It might not be. If you have any requests, then please get those in soon. And I will consider doing an episode or at least answering your questions or hitting your topic on an episode. So please do send those in if you have any requests or questions or comments or feedback. As always, please do. I do love hearing from you. I occasionally will hear from listeners and I do really enjoy that and I try to interact. So that brings me to my gratitudes to give out to those of you who are supporting the show in various ways, whether it be by listening, by giving money, by leaving a rating or leaving a review or sending me an email, giving me some feedback, whatever it is that you are doing to support the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for doing so. I am out of here. Peace. This has been another episode of Our Foundation's podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.